This is Think Retail, a podcast where top designers, strategists, thought leaders, and business people discuss what's coming next. Hi, I'm Melinda, and you're listening to Think Retail. One of the buzziest and most debated tech terms of the last five to 10 years is artificial intelligence. To start off with, what does the term artificial intelligence actually mean? If you just Google define artificial intelligence, you'll discover that even computer scientists and engineers don't entirely agree on what to call everything that fits under the AI umbrella. And when it comes to putting it to use, there's even less clarity. For retail brands, many of whom may be sitting on a lot of consumer data, understanding what options are available now and what could be relevant tomorrow is key to staying ahead. George Wang is a designer whose work bridges areas of innovation and technology, product development, and software. And he's going to talk to us about what artificial intelligence means for retail design. George, welcome and thank you for chatting with me today. Can you start us off by telling us a little bit about you and how you came to be interested in artificial intelligence? Well, sounds good. Thanks for having me, Melinda. Uh, to give you a little background, I've always been this person who's fascinated with the intersections of you know ideas and people that don't normally connect, right? And over my career, I've become a bridge builder of sorts. And what sort of explains my career, starting from graduating in mechatronics engineering at Waterloo to co-founding a startup to getting to design and design thinking at Johnson Johnson and later BCG Digital Ventures in 2017. Uh, which for those that don't know is uh, Boston Consulting Group's startup studio where we help clients launch new tech startups from the ground up. And it was during my time at Digital Ventures when I saw AI being loosely used as a buzzword by a lot of the clients and the business folks that I worked with. And they, you know, they understand the business challenges quite deeply, but their grasp on the capabilities and limitations and nuances of AI was a little bit limited. Uh, in the meanwhile, the engineers had the other piece of the puzzle, normally, that, you know, they, they know the, you know, what, what, what is under the hood for, for a, of AI, um, but their, uh, you know, the domain knowledge was quite limited. And so, you know, when engineers and the business people are talking to each other, they're oftentimes having two different conversations. And so being a bridge builder and as the only design strategist with an engineering background at Digital Ventures, I saw this opportunity to step in and create some frameworks for how to identify applications for AI in business. You know, and one thing led to another. I left Digital Ventures and later joined a leading Canadian AI company called Dessa to lead US expansion. Um, before acquired by Square earlier this year, the company's focus was around building and deploying machine learning systems end to end for some of the largest financial uh, Fortune 100 companies in Canada and the US. And so the work that Dessa did was truly cutting edge. And you know, we had only 12 engineers, um, but was able to create half a billion dollars worth of value just under three years. And there wow. I worked along with, you know, with uh, machine learning engineers and saw what it was like to develop and deploy an AI system from end to end, uh, from identifying this, this application to experimenting with the model to deploying it in the real world and affecting actual business decisions. And that experience had taught me a lot about the state of the art of AI and eventually brought me to where I am today. You know, again, building bridges between AI and the design community uh, so that we can have a continuous dialogue about the future opportunities where design can help AI reach its full potential. Excellent. Well, you're the perfect person for us to talk to then. Um, there are a lot of terms that get thrown around. AI, machine learning, strong AI, weak AI, deep learning. 
how do you categorize, name, and talk about what is commonly referred to as artificial intelligence? It's a big question, I know. Right, right it's a big question. Um, and I think there's a lot in that question. And, uh, you know, I doubt we have the time to, to cover it all, but, you know, you, you can quite easily Google this sort of stuff. But the thing that I want to talk to you about is AI is quite a buzzword these days. Right. And it's really hard to have a productive conversation around it because it kind of means everything and nothing at the same time. And I have two reasons for this. AI is as, as, is as broad as healthcare, you know, as a right. word. And it's like a yeah. collection of technologies that are united by common characteristics, just like everything in healthcare it's about the human body, right? That's, that's pretty much it. I mean, there's a little bit more, but, you know, in principle, AI is this collection of things that are vastly different. But, you know, there's a lot of math, there's a lot of commonalities. And the technologies themselves are, are very different, for example, between natural language processing and object recognition, you know, completely different right. fields, even though they're all categorized under AI. So if you say, oh, I want, we want AI, what, what are you really trying to say, right? Like, you know, I have a you know, I have a, like a mill. I don't just get healthcare. I, I need to see a particular type of doctor for something in particular, right? So uh, f for that reason, it is, is kind of, uh, you know, it's a buzzword and, and uh, one, one, you know, one reason I would discourage from using that word so much. Um, the other reason is that its definition is constantly shifting. The word AI was invented in the 1950s when they barely had any computers and I think, I forget who it was that actually came up with the term, but, you know, there was a system called Eliza and she was supposed to be this avatar that responded to certain queries. So, and the, the entire thing was a rule-based system. So, you know, the program was, hey, if, you, if the person, if the user enters this uh, in the input, then this is your response. It's like, if this and that, that is, you know, you would, nobody would consider that as AI these days, but, you know, that's where the word came from. And, and the, the definition of AI shifted with time. You know, one of the interesting uh, quotes I've heard about it, this AI effect is it's something, AI is something that a, a, a human can do that, that a computer cannot do yet. And, uh, you know, given the constant shifting definition of what AI is with this, you know, very broad definition, it's really hard to pin down. You know, when two people are having a conversation on AI, what are they really talking about? And so, that leads us to how can you more precisely uh, refer to AI um, or what you mean when you say the word AI. And, you know, I'll start that off with the reason why we're even talking about AI these days so much as we do is because of the advent of machine learning and most recently deep learning. And these are the words that I encourage you to use. And, right. you know, most of the time when you refer to AI, you're actually referring to the capabilities made possible by the technology of these, uh, of machine learning and deep learning. And so what is machine learning? It is the scientific study of algorithms and statistical models that computer systems use to perform a specific task without using explicit instructions. The operative words or words is without using explicit instructions. So in the case of Eliza back then, you know, that's not machine learning. That's just... If the user says this, then this is how you respond. That's explicit instructions. Right. What is not explicit? Uh, when your email is looking for spam, right? Like if an email comes in, is it spam or is it not spam? There could be a million ways that email could be worded, phrased, where things could be in an email. You can never possibly come up with all the rules to let a computer discern whether it's spam or not. Machine learning is able to let the user do is feed tons and tons of examples 
um, what, like, here is an example of a spam email. Here is one that is not. And here's one that looks kind of like a spam email, and, but it's actually not. So lots and lots of examples of both the positive and negative uh, kind of versions of a spam email and, and, uh, and write code, training code to let the uh, computer essentially figure it out on its own what is a spam or not spam email. And deep learning is a method, it's some kind of subset, you know, a method uh, of machine learning that's responsible for much of the AI you're seeing today. So machine learning has existed, existed for a while and deep learning, it, it closely resembles what you, somewhat of what you see in science fiction. Machine learning, uh, you can use it to, to analyze tabular data. For example, transactional data, um, banking data, you know, everything that exists in the table. But what deep learning is able to do in addition to that is analyze unstructured data. What, what that means is the data that exists in an image or in a song, right? Like it's just ones and zeros. It's not a tabular data with columns and rows. And it's able to identify, for example, the objects within those images. That's, you know, propelling self-driving cars to these days. And so it's, it's because of deep learning, this technology, that is why AI has made a comeback in a way since the 1950s. So, okay, so you prefer machine learning and deep learning. You prefer those terms to AI. So what is the most common use for machine learning or deep learning that the average consumer experiences in their daily lives? Um, you know, AI is already everywhere. I don't think there is a most common use. I think we, it's, we're already using it. It's already affecting us in, myriad of, in a myriad of ways that we don't even realize, you know, from, in the, I actually don't know if this is actual machine learning or deep learning because it's the most impactful applications of it are in the back end. It's not so much the interface, right? So the light turning green at the intersection you know, that, that is based on some algorithm, you know, right. perhaps it's rule-based, perhaps it's driven by some statistical data, you know, perhaps it's, you know, it's, it's uh, in maybe the city of the future, it is driven by something like deep learning, where you take into account multitude of dimensions to determine whether the light should turn green or not. You know, another example is when you're typing in Gmail, Google autocompletes, you know, the rest of your sentence and you just hit tab to, to kind of populate it. You know, that, that's an example uh, of, of deep learning um, because it has to do with, with uh, language processing. So in the world of retail, there are a few uses for predictive analytics that are currently being deployed. And one of them is for predicting product assortments based on a specific location. And so for example, H&M and Nike are both using this kind of a strategy to put different products in different places based on what they predict is going to sell better. Can you explain how that might work? Yeah, sure. So I think the, in terms of retail, the, the brand that we're probably all familiar with is Amazon. And the secret to its success, as you might already imagine, is the highly, highly targeted recommendations that's personalized to each individual customer, right? Based on your browsing patterns, it's able to figure out what you are most likely to buy. So it recommends those products to you. In the case of hyperlocal, it's similar in the concept, except with a greater emphasis on geography, right. and rather than optimizing your recommendations uh, based on what you predict for each customer, you're optimizing the inventory based on the collective preferences of each neighborhood. So it's really not as much, you know, of a difference in terms of concept, but 
the uh, the underlying technology that that's you know I don't I don't know what Amazon's proprietary you know, machine learning tech stack is and you know that that that's something that that, that then kind of needs to be figured out um, for each 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 retail company. So that wouldn't be a really super complicated type of system that we're talking about here. It's it's relatively simple what you're saying. I think it's all relative, right? Um, I think it would take some investment. And I think there's lots of low hanging fruits that companies don't realize that they have. When I hear AI or machine learning or deep learning, oh my God, these are words that are so new. And some other people can, they have the resources, they have the talent, they have the, the data to, to do it, but not us. But in reality, it's, it's quite achievable. You know, I built an AI system in less than a day from not knowing how to build it in the morning and actually built one during the night that, you know, that, that can interpret what the, like I'll, I'll feed it the image and I can classify that image based on what's in it, right? So, so I think this technology is getting to a point where it's so accessible for, for individuals, for companies that, yeah, I mean, the, the value is there and, you know, I just urge, you know, companies just give it a try, experiment, carve out a little bit of a, a little bit of a section of, of the, of the either customer base or, or inventory to just do run a few experiments. Right? Limit your risk, but see for yourself whether, you know, with, with a little bit of investment, whether it's going to create the value that, you, that, that you're hoping for. And then if it works, scale it. So another challenge that uh, a lot of retailers are facing, especially now with people shopping more online, is online apparel returns. How could retailers potentially use AI to address this issue? Right. So... You know, um, AI, uh, you know, has been proven to be a great solution to this challenge already. And, you know, before you, you think about how to implement machine learning or AI, I think there's plenty of work that you can do leading up to that without skipping right to the technology. You know, why are people returning? You know, could it be because of sizing? Is it style? Is it the texture? You know, you can cover some of these questions by just doing some whole research. Uh, and maybe it's a rather straightforward fix. Uh, for instance, you know, I'm tall and quite thin. It's hard for me to find a shirt that's, you know, that fits uh, nicely. And, you know, maybe there's could be a store-wide uh, system to standardize the different sizes uh, from the various manufacturers. But if you do decide to experiment with machine learning, having some preliminary insights of the problem, it will also allow you to be more intentional in where you apply the, techno the technology. Right. And uh, if it's sizing, you may want to use machine learning to, for example, recommend the best size for the customer based on their past purchase and returns behavior. Mm -hmm. And if it's style or texture, you may want to develop a machine learning system that automatically photoshops the customer into a virtual fitting room where they can see themselves in everyday situations where the same piece of clothing. And yeah, this technology does exist. And these applications are vastly, vastly different, right? And the, the more you can be, the more, the more strategic, intentional you can be about where you think, where the real problem is that you can apply AI, the, I think the, the better results you're gonna be able to see. You know, say you do want to predict what items are gonna be returned. Uh, what you do wanna figure out is what combinations of variables are correlated with the lowest and highest return rates. Just like the previous example we gave about you know, spam emails, you know, giving this computer a thousand spam, a thousand non-spam email and letting you figure it out. Same thing here. Right. Yeah, you just like, give it a lot of information and let it kind of determine the variables that are maybe contributing to the problem. Yeah. Right. right. Okay. And, and do you, do you, what do you do with that knowledge? 
know, do you automate certain action to take place in real time? Like disincentivizing um, purchase of something that will be returned or perhaps offering a coupon for making the return non-refundable before you know, it is purchased. Um, and again, it's different for every company depending on the data right. that you have. So you know, take it step by step and don't rush you know, straight into implementing it. Right. So, yeah. Okay. So I want to talk about chatbots because chatbots and and art, you know, uh, virtual assistants, um, especially again, everybody's shopping online, and even post pandemic, a lot of these behaviors are going to stick. With AI enabled chatbots and assistants, with complex language still being something that's you know really being developed, is the cost of this type of technology worth the benefit? Do you think? Right, and that's. As you can see, there's a, <laughs> I don't give straight answers. Um, I think <laughs> there's, there's, a, there's a lot of nuance, right? There's a huge diversity of chatbots out there ranging on you know, levels of technology sophistication to the, the, the use case. And uh, I think, yeah, there's a level of rigor that needs to be applied to discerning uh, certain technologies that give off the appearance of AI uh, from the ones that actually is leveraging AI's predictive capabilities. I mean, and some so, of them are still just really like Eliza where they're just exactly. answering, you know, A, B, C, or D response based on whatever you put in. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. And in terms of benefit, it largely depends on where and how the chatbot is applied. Um, if you haven't targeted the right customer problem to solve with the chatbot, or you've implemented in a way that's frustrating uh, to use for the user, then it's not going to generate the ROI that you're looking for. And, uh, and you know, speaking from the, the point of view of a designer, one of the biggest UX issues with chatbots is the customer not knowing what they should ask. So I think an opportunity for machine learning is making predictions around the question that the customer is trying to answer at that exact moment in time. You know, when they're on the page of your website, are they hesitating? Are they, you know, what are they thinking about? Perhaps machine learning can be used to, to kind of draw some of those conclusions based on their real-time behavior and having the chatbot initiate the dialogue in a much more personalized way. So the retail industry is often viewed as being really a, a very slow moving business environment where embracing innovation is more exceptional than normal. But given the, the you know, current circumstances and um, many companies have been forced to accept new ideas really quickly, do you think that the pandemic could precipitate an era of greater innovation in the retail sector? sector? And if so, you know, how could predictive analytics play a role? You know, it's no question that, that COVID is, is uh, driving massive changes in consumer behavior today, changes in discretionary income and spare time, we consider values and priorities, we're cooking more, going on less. You know, it affects retail, as we all know, you know, J. Crew and Pier One imports going out of business. And uh, what's interesting about COVID is that it's a stepwise change, uh, given the fact that machine learning models uh, predict behavior based on, based on past data. Uh, companies that use machine learning models would have learned by now that the models stop working when the future is vastly different than the past. Right. Yeah. Um, and some correlations will remain the same, like you're, we're going to sell more sweaters in winter than in the summer. Right? But there are new patterns that are potentially emerging. For example, is there a relationship between the, the COVID rates and the color of the clothing that they're purchasing? I don't know. <laughs> it's yeah. something that you know, these sort of invisible correlations is what machine learning is able to detect for us. And so to your question, whether COVID would precip precipitate an era, era of greater innovation, 
Um, yes and no. Yes, that consumer demands are changing and the retailers can keep up with these demands will succeed. And no, because brick and mortar retailers are under a huge amount of pressure and many of them are clamping down budgets and focusing on the bottom line rather than innovating. So as we move into a future that's changing more and more rapidly with more disruptive events, what is COVID for next year? You know, just based on the past few years, we've come to see a lot of disruption, right? And it's not going to stop here. And I think the most agile companies will adapt to the change, and the ones that cannot will be outcompeted. Yeah, absolutely. I, I completely agree. And I mean, I think as much as we are, you know, we all, I think many people think that once there's a vaccine, we'll be back to normal. But, you know, climate change is another thing that is looming in our much nearer future than I think most people imagine as another disruptive force. And there's other things that, of course, we can't predict. So how could retail brands intentionally move to a culture where innovation is more intrinsic instead of one where, you know, you take Pepper the robot and you put it in the store and you call that innovation? Right. I think... Yeah, Pepper the robot is kind of like this this cliche, right? But you know, in business, what matters at the end of the day is how you're reaching your goals, right? If Pepper the robot is actually giving customers a positive experience and your investment results in real tangible business benefits, then you should definitely invest in Pepper the robot. In most <laughs> cases, companies that put Pepper the robot in because it looks like innovation, but it doesn't actually create real value for customers or for the business. So, what you should be doing is one, understand the capabilities of a particular technology for something like AI, the capabilities are as diverse as it gets. And you know, in the beginning, I keep saying, talk about it like ML and, and uh, deep learning, I guess it's just a force of habit. But um, even when I'm referring to AI, I really mean this huge collection of technologies and that are vastly different. So, you know, just get a level deeper into what the, the technology is, is capable of doing. And, and, under, and first and foremost, really understanding the challenges that your customers and your business face that, again, can be uniquely addressed by this technology um, by finding uh, the intersections between, between the business need and, and the customer need. I do want to say that innovation isn't real unless it's implemented and, and companies either treat like an all or nothing game and shy away from, from investing in anything you know, where they miss out on the opportunity or they're so committed to change that they spend a ton of money and implementing something that's in up in the panning out. Um, so what I would advise is determine like, you know, coming out of the, you know, part of the, the, the business as a PLC and experiment and just, you know, see the results uh, for yourself. It's always a great pleasure to chat with George. He might not give you a black or white answer, but he does give you a lot to think about. So what's hitting home for me, there's a couple things. One is the idea that AI is as broad as healthcare. I've never heard it described that way before. And it does help me frame artificial intelligence a little bit more clearly. Another is the idea that AI can help you define your problem. And this is a big one because we do see a lot of retail organizations relying on historical information or traditional research practices to draw conclusions about a challenge, but it often turns out if we approach it differently, we find out the challenge is something completely different than what we originally assumed it was. And if machine learning and predictive analytics can help us define the challenge, this could help us break out of some of those biases that lead to inaccurate conclusions. The last thing that George was talking about was agility. It's another buzzword that we hear all the time, but given how fast things are moving, it is really the only way I can imagine any business model staying alive. 
And the great news is that machine learning can help. And according to George, it's more accessible than you think. We would love to hear about how your brand is experimenting with machine learning. You can reach us at info at sld.com. Thanks for listening. For more information about Think Retail, you can reach us at info at sld.com. For more episodes, visit us online at sld.com slash podcast. Next time we talk about brand transformation and why now is the time to embrace change. We hope you'll join us.